Please join me in prayer. Almighty Father, we come before you at this very important time, a time you designated to come to see your face. We think back to the start of these days that go all the way back to the beginning, carried on through the Old Testament, through the New Testament, through Yahshua and the apostles, and on into the kingdom. That's how important your feast days are. So we pray, Almighty Yahweh, that you'll look down upon each of us for these eight days, that we might take from this the understanding and the resolve and the dedication to continue on when we go back to the world, that this feast will be a blessing for each of us, that you'll keep us safe, keep our children safe, and that we might rejoice for these eight days and remember forever what we have done here today and this feast. We pray that you will be with your people. We pray that those who have not been able to come will will join in spirit and that they also would then make that commitment when they can as they follow you. And we pray, Almighty Yahweh, now that you'll bless this service. May these words be yours. In Yahshua's name we pray. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You may be seated. Well, we've got brethren from all four corners of the country, north, south, east, and west, here today. And I hope you're getting to know each of them and uh, welcoming them and fellowshipping with them, learning from them, helping them in their quest. Because that's what we're all about as an assembly. That's what we do as Yahweh's people. It's a, a time of rejoicing. It's the you know, the very uh, climax of the, of the year, I look at it, as uh, the time of uh, this is it, you know, and as we prepare for a long dry spell until the spring feasts again. So we welcome you and glad you're all here. I want to, you know, today we hear so much about surveys. You know, they take surveys for this, surveys for that. They set standards by what the people think and so forth. And, you know, we, we also know that surveys are not all that reliable. I remember there was a book when I was growing up called How to Lie with Statistics. And uh, surveys are much better in many ways. But uh, let's hope this one's better. Here's a little multiple choice. Survey. A, I am here at the Feast of Tabernacles because A, I can't live without it. B, it's the coolest thing in New Testament worship. C, tabernacles can teach me more about Yahweh. And D, keeping tabernacles is a command as binding as the Ten Commandments. Well, how about it? Why are you here? One of those? I hope all of them. Because in every facet of a believer's devotion, motives for what we do are not just a thing. They're everything. They reflect our heart. What comes out of our heart is what we do and what we say. They're everything to us. We want to make sure the heart is right. And the right reasons lead to right worship. We're here to please Yahweh. He says, come out and keep a feast to me in the wilderness, he told Israel. Same, basically the same command for us today. Come out and keep a feast. This is not a man-made observance. It's not one of these optional things. Uh, you know, Come or go, you don't care, it doesn't really matter. It began at the beginning and it's going to be carried through all the way into the kingdom. Think about that. Get on board, you know. 
Zechariah chapter 14 is a synopsis of events just before Yahshua returns to earth. Now, we're not talking about ancient Israelite history here. We're talking about future. We're talking about things just ahead. Zechariah 14, 16. And it shall come to pass that every one that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem, and I believe this reflects Psalm 83, the ten nations that you know surrounded and attacked Israel at the very end, uh, shall even go up from year to year to worship the king, Yahweh of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. And it shall be that whoso will not, whoso will not come up of all the families of the earth unto Jerusalem to worship the king, Yahweh of hosts, even upon them shall be no rain. We have the option today of coming or not coming and not really getting the full impact of Yahweh's displeasure. But at that time, hey, there's going to be plague for those who don't come. Well, that just means the Jews and those ten nations, some might say. You say, friend, read closer. Read it closer. And all families of the earth will come up to Jerusalem. Everybody. Everybody's going to come up to Jerusalem to keep his feast. He talks about... uh, Verse, 18, or verse yeah, 18, where Egypt and all the nations will be coming before him. So let's continue. And if the family of Egypt go not up and come not, that have no rain, there shall be the plague wherewith Yahweh will smite the heathen that come not up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. So if not only do you got not get rain, you're going to have a plague. And you know when you don't get rain, you get drought. You get drought, you get famine. You get famine, you get disease. This shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all nations that came not up, that come not up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. So we have a choice now. We have an option. And he blesses those that opt for him. Because, again, that shows the heart. Of all the cataclysmic, uh, cataclysmic events surrounding the returning of Yahshua to conquer the nations, to alter the earth and set up his kingdom here for a thousand years. Yahweh cites a key observance. All the nations of the earth will by force keep his feasts. That's how important it is to him. Everyone who refuses will suffer the consequences. Millions upon millions will be coming and doing what you're doing right now by force. They're going to be doing that. You you can tell, you can say, hey, I did it because he told me to do it and I love my creator. That's why I did it. I didn't have to be forced. You're on the cutting edge. You're blazing trails. Many come through the truth through the Sabbath or through the name. We hear from them all the time. I learned about his name. Or most people, it's through the Sabbath. They learn about the Sabbath, and they find a group or try to find a group that teaches that. And then they may have more they want to learn. So they find somebody else that teaches beyond that, the feast days and the name, perhaps. But first, many learn through the feast. I remember going to church and reading about the feasts in the New Testament. The apostles and Paul saying, I must by all means keep this feast in Acts. And, and 
I looked at that and said, well, he's doing it. We're quoting Paul all the time. Why aren't we doing it? It's like the name. That's his name. Why aren't we using it? You know, it doesn't click. So anyway, did you notice that in the word, whenever Yahweh's people run to him in true worship and turn back to him, one of the key ways is through his feast days. As when Israel was told to come out of false worship in Egypt to keep Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. As when Judah returned to true worship after 70 years of Babylonian captivity to rebuild the temple and they celebrated the Feast of Trumpets. Of course, which just occurs before tabernacles. When in the Millennial Kingdom we see tabernacles enjoined, feast continuity continues to come out through both Old and New Testaments. Well, first and foremost, we're here to worship and serve and learn about Yahweh. That's, that's key. We like to do a lot of other things, and that's good too because that, that helps uh, you know, the, uh, the whole atmosphere of rejoicing before Yahweh because we're commanded to rejoice. You will rejoice, he says. We pray that this observance will be filled with so many unforgettable moments that you'll take back with you at home. And so many people say, man, I wish I just had a group I could meet with every week. And I feel their pain because we were there. We were there for many years. We were out living out west in a dry hole. Couldn't get a single person interested. We did all we could, send out literature, you know, advertising in the paper. Not one person for years. Finally, we got with somebody, met with them on Friday nights for Bible study, and, uh, and then we moved away. <laughs> That happened out in Kansas, too, when my wife and I were out there. Same deal. Couldn't find anybody. Moved away, and all of a sudden, we're here for somebody from this very same town we lived in. Oh, man. But, you know, that's the way it works. And uh, we pray this observance will be unforgettable, a time to build memories, both for you and your family, your children. That's key, too. I was telling somebody, we, without that rec center up there, it would be hard to keep a feast that would, the kids would you know, really get into because you'd have to go somewhere else to do activities. We Now we've got it, you know, we can do that. And they really love it, and uh, we're so glad we did it. And now with this thing back here, this bandstand, uh, if you were here last night, it was, it was enjoyable. It really was perfect weather. Full moon up there, you know, and, oh, just beautiful. So anyway, Yahweh has blessed us. But regular, consistent diet, and exercise are important to physical health. Regular and consistent worship, feast observance, Sabbath keeping is critical to spiritual health, health as well. So people might ask, you know, how do you learn so much? How come you, you know, you, what Bible are you reading from anyway? I, I don't remember reading that. You know, how do you know so much? You may have been asked. Well, Proverbs 1 7 says the fear of Yahweh is the beginning of knowledge, beginning of wisdom. So when you start fearing him and doing what he says, he gives you more and more and more. And your, your, your mind just starts expanding. You ever started a Bible study, you start one area, and all of a sudden you're way off track on this bunny trail because, wow, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Well, look what it says here. And then you go, oh, okay. And you got your RSB and you find the reference and you go there. And pretty soon you're way off from where you started. And that happens all the time. Yahweh's book is living, and it 
it's just exciting to learn more and more. The main instruction for the Feast of Tabernacles is in Leviticus 23, 34. Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of this seventh month shall be the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days unto Yahweh. On the first day shall be a holy convocation. That's a coming together, convoke, Latin word meaning coming together with. You shall do no servile work therein. Seven days you shall offer an offering made by fire unto Yahweh. On the eighth day shall be a holy convocation unto you, and you shall offer an offering made by fire unto Yahweh. It is a solemn assembly. First and last days are solemn assemblies. And you shall do no servile work therein. These are the feasts of Yahweh, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, to offer an offering made by fire unto Yahweh, a burnt offering, a meat offering, a sacrifice, a drink offerings, everything upon his day. So we have taken up an offering, haven't we? That's what he says on, on the first and last. And, well, Israel actually took offerings every day. We don't do that. Uh, I don't know why. We don't take them up on Sabbath either. I don't know why, but Israel did, and they've had twice the offerings on Sabbath. But uh, people send in their offerings all the time, so I don't know uh, if it's that necessary for us. But... Uh, we do give when we can, and people do give very well. In our rapidly declining secular culture, the vast majority love the world's offerings. That's what they're into. They're into the world big time, and it's getting worse. They have a low level of tolerance for spiritual things, if they have any interest at all, not realizing that they are creating, in one way or another, their own destiny. How they're going to end up, where they're going to go. Well, they all think they're going to heaven, you know, <laughs> but uh, they don't read the Bible. The Barna Group conducted a survey about the Bible to determine if people truly believed what the Bible said. 4% did. 4%. That's it. And for Christianity, professed Christians didn't fare much better. Can you believe it? This is their textbook, but they don't really. You know, they don't really believe it so much, at least so much to practice it. At the other end of the spectrum are the called out who see their lives for what they are. Just a temporary journey, just a time to learn and a testing time as the promise of a future and greater life drives them through life in a different direction. So we are peculiar. It doesn't mean weird. It just means you're different. Everyone who believes the Bible or claims to resides at a certain level of spirituality and development. I like to say that the first level are the surface skimmers, those who claim a faith but have no idea what it means and have no interest in anything more. With a participation level that hovers at near zero, for them, religion is only a safety net, just in case, you know, just in case I need it someday. You know, if my life's cut short, at least I have something. Uh, maybe that'll help. And, and despite such anemic performance, they believe Yahweh is pleased. We're pleased with them. And are automatically destined for a heavenly a, a, a bliss, regardless of their actual walk here on earth. Because that's what they hear in sermons and funerals. Then we find on the next level the rubber stamper. 
This person was raised in this denomination. He rubber stamps everything he was told in church, just as his parents did who inherited the same trait from their parents, and on and on it goes. They go only as far as the church takes them. Whenever they put to test its beliefs, if they ever did, the rubber stamper would defer to his minister to pinch hit for him. This individual also is convinced that he has an eternity in heavenly bliss awaiting for him. At level three, we find the compromised committer who accepts Yahweh and his covenant truth. But rather than submitting to the scriptures as he knows them, as he reads it, as he's commanded to, he's rendered spiritually impotent out of pressure from family or the lures of the world. They come first. Demas, one of Paul's trusted fellow workers, was also compromised. This fellow apparently shared Paul's two-year home arrest in Rome with Paul, one of his closest. But something happened. Something went wrong with Demas. And he became enticed by the world, and he abandoned Paul. He left him, Paul says. It happens too often. We see it too. The way is too narrow and the challenge too much for the weak and the spineless. This is that man with two masters that Yasha warned about in Matthew 6.24. And one day he'll regret choosing the wrong one. These are also governed by their circumstances. In Matthew 14, when, remember when Peter stepped out of the boat? Yasha's walking on water said, come on, Peter. Come on out. And he stepped out. He was demonstrating a faith in Yahshua. Kept his eyes on Yahshua, you know. But when he took his eyes off Yahshua and starts looking down at the, whoa, what's happening here? Walking, you know, on aqua uh, and focused on this, this, probably the waves, the storm-tossed waves or whatever was going on at the time, uh, he began to get that sinking feeling and you get when you lose your trust, you know. In times of uncertainty, All I need to do is look back at all those times that Yahweh pulled me to safety when I shouldn't be here. There are many times I shouldn't be here. Yahweh must have a plan because I'm still here doing hopefully what he wants me to do. And I'm sure you can say the same thing. You can think back of all those close calls that you had through life. You wonder, how did we ever get through that? I was telling somebody about... uh, uh, We used to meet in Rogers... Arkansas, when we didn't have a, a building, we met in our basement, or in our house, I should say, and uh, did the work in our basement. And we were down there at uh, the Rogers Library where we met once a month, and uh, the librarian came in halfway through the service. And this is like in November, December. Beautiful day, and she says the uh, mayor is closing all city buildings because of the snowstorm. <laughs> Sun was shining, beautiful. I said, okay, let's go. We can't stay now. So we take off going through the mountains of Arkansas. You're driven through there. That's a challenge. Add to that about six inches of slushy snow and then see how well you do on, you know, like this. Came around a curve and there's a guy in a BMW right smack in the middle of the road. There was no way to stop. I could not stop on that slushy stuff. My son was behind us in another car. Uh, quick thinking. And there was Randy. He was uh, fresh out of California. He didn't know what snow looked like, practically. <laughs> he was sitting in the back, white-knuckled, you know. 
And uh, I thought, well, okay, we either hit this BMW or we go off the mountain. Because we had, you know, zero room the way it looked. I just did a quick prayer, and somehow, we must have missed this guy by this much. He was waving, you know, trying to keep it, get us. There was no stopping. We couldn't have stopped. We would have slid. Anyway, and then I thought, uh-oh, Ryan behind me. And he, I saw him. He just, he squeezed by that much, too. Oh, my goodness. I mean, Yahweh was with us, you know. I mean, and I got to thinking, why would he cause us such harm if we just were doing his will, keeping his Sabbath with brethren down in Arkansas? You know, you got to think about those things, too. If you're doing his will, why would he have harm come upon you like that? Now, we get tested, of course, but uh, something that's that serious. You know, we follow Yahweh's word, and he says that he'll bless us for doing so. And the true believer, he never blindly accepts anything without testing it, like a noble Berean. They tested everything daily, what they were hearing, whether it was so, against the scriptures. True believer is keenly aware of Ephesians 4, 5, knowing that there is only one master, one faith, and one baptism. Not a bunch. It's not multiple choice. It's not a smorgasbord out there. There's only one. You've got to find that one. His convictions are unshakable. His faith is solid and steady as an old gyroscope. You know, I had one as a little kid. Maybe you had one. You pull the string and try to move the thing. It keeps wanting to get straightened up again. And you fight it, but it still gets back to, you know, zero degree or whatever. And so uh, that's how our lives have to be. No matter what happens, we come back to true again. So his convictions are unshakable and his faith is solid. He resolves to live the word and will not be compromised. These are the people Yahweh is looking for. Think about it. Think about what's ahead. Why? Why would he look for people that are totally faithful to him? Because they're going to be in his government. You don't pick a sloth. You don't pick someone who's vacillating all the time, here today, gone tomorrow, then back and back and forth. You pick the ones that are true all the way down to their very being. They will uphold him no matter what comes. He's resolved to live the word, and he won't be compromised. For the sake of his salvation, come what may. He knows he must follow the teachings and example of Yahshua, regardless of the opposition or the difficulty. And believe me, he will get opposition. He will get difficulty. He has one shot at salvation, and he will not renege. Most who profess the scriptures today are at one of the other levels, and they think they're okay. And these are the people we're trying to reach. The truth does not reside in ignorance, apathy, self-satisfaction, wimpy resolve, fear of what others may think. Neither is it found in the weak of will. You know, it takes a special person to accept this walk. It's a narrow gate, a narrow way. You've got to squeeze by sometimes. You know, it's that narrow. And he says not many are going to find it. Not many are going to have that resolve to walk that way. It's tough. I agree, it's tough. But Yahweh's always with you. I mean, Yahshua said, you will have tribulation. You follow me, you're going to have tribulation. Because he had it too. He had it like, you know, big time. But it takes a strong and committed person. No half-hearted priest for Yahweh. And that's what we're planned uh, to have one day as being a priest in his kingdom. A priest, a kingdom of priests. 
we can go out and teach others. Imagine we don't do these things, and all of a sudden, you know, for some odd reason, we become a priest. And you're trying to teach someone, you know, and Isaiah talks about, you hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way walk you in it. I believe that's his people as priests straightening out their walk. Oh, don't do that. You're going to regret it. You know, that's against the law, Yahweh's law. But anyway, imagine some guy that's never done that, and the guy turns around and says, wait a minute, where were you? You didn't do this stuff. You weren't faithful. You want me to? Come on, that's hypocritical. So he's not going to accept hypocrites into his kingdom. He can't be half-hearted. He wants rock-solid followers that he can trust, that he can make something of. You know, you don't get into high office without, you know, by being a sluggard. You have to show the right stuff to be promoted to that. And he's looking for the right stuff here. He's looking for those who want to learn of him and his will now. He also said, many are called, but few are chosen. He said, few, because it's uncommon determination of those. It takes dedication and sacrifice to be one of Yahweh's. So you've got to squeeze into it. Sometimes it's tough, and you'll get opposition. Yahweh wants the exceptional. He wants the one willing to resist the status quo. I mean, if we're all like the world, what's the point? You can't use the world. They're not, they're not in it. It takes a questioning mind, a heart focused on him, in tune with Yahweh, and one not sidetracked by all the worldly allures that come our way, or man's traditions, or man's ways. It's a person with a heart completely for Yahweh, and it shows in every area of his life. Proverbs 25, 29, 25, the fear of Yahweh brings a snare. I'm sorry. Did you catch my mispronunciation? The fear of man bringeth a snare. But whoso putteth his trust in Yahweh shall be safe. You know, the true believer doesn't fit the common mold. He just, he's, he's outside of it. He or her heart beats to a different drum. Just, we are peculiar in that way. You heard the call. You came out. And that's why you're here today. And Yahweh is well pleased. You came to keep his appointment. And that's uncommon in our world. Now, an appointment with a dentist, an appointment with a doctor, boy, everybody, oh, I, got a, I got an appointment tomorrow. And, I, you know, comes to Yahweh's, his appointments. Um, can't make it this year. I got a problem here. I got this issue. I got that issue. Yahweh makes a note of that in his book. But you responded. You couldn't sit back. Comfortably at home while the drama plays out among Yahweh's called out ones, you didn't disappoint Yahweh for anything. The Feast of Tabernacles is the time of calling out. It's preparation for the return of Yahshua the Messiah and the harvest of his own. See, the harvest runs all the way through Scripture. That's a metaphor that you find over and over and over from the commands in the Old Testament, from Yahshua's parables. From what he says about a spiritual harvest, it's all the way through. Even his feast days, based on the harvest. Abib. Really, the only month named in Scripture. They picked up others in Babylon, but Abib was the one named in Scripture, specifically because it starts the month. of the. It's the, it's the start of the year, the first month of the year. And it's Abib. Abib, and we're going to talk about this later on, does not mean vernal equinox. 
Abib is a specific stage of barley. When he said, when you went into, you know, they're going to go and harvest when they go into the promised land, they parched it. Why? Because it was still kind of green. That's what Abib means. It's a specific stage. And they were to take it if it has to be parched so that you can, you know, roast it and then, um, you know, have, make, make, uh, flour out of it, you had, to, you had to dry it out and parch it. So that's what they did. And we've learned a whole lot this year with the calendar difference of some groups. We've learned a lot. I mean a lot. And Abib, it, it's not just a name like we tack on something, you know, a, a label. The word almost in every instance in scripture is ha-Abib, meaning the Abib. It's a specific, definite article defining a stage of barley. And he says that's the first month, Deuteronomy 16.1. That's the first month in that stage of Abib. So anyway, uh, I won't get into any more of that. But anyway, it's, uh, that's why we're here today. We're here to keep his feasts. And uh, this is the seventh month. And we've been through the first uh, part of the, the month. Now we're at the middle of the month with that big full moon up there. It's beautiful. Feast of Tabernacles is a time of calling out. It's a preparation for the return of Yahshua and the harvest of his own. So by coming here, you're halfway there, the way I look at it. But you've got to prove to Yahweh what he already suspects, that you have the right stuff to serve in his kingdom as a priest. And that's why Yahweh created us in the first place. This is the culmination of his plan, to be with him for an eternity, an eternity with the Father. I mean, this is for all the marbles. That's how serious it is and how important it is. We have no future in this world. This world's going to end and everything in it. Besides, who wants corruption? You know, the person who succeeds even in secular life is one who stands out from the crowd. He's not, he's not the norm. He's exceptional. Yahweh is looking for that person to come out of his safe space and meet challenges, as he did the apostles when Yahshua called each of them, leave and come follow me. You know, they're busy working. He says, come, follow me. He never said, well, just keep on fishing there, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Think about me once in a while. Maybe name drop me at some opportune time in front of somebody. But just keep on going like you're doing. But no need to offend. I mean, you don't want to upset people. Not like Jeremiah and John the Baptist did, or Isaiah did, or Ezekiel did. Oh, let's not offend people. How about just speaking the truth? That's the only way they're going to learn, to speak the truth. The Apostle Paul was of that mold. He wrote to Timothy. 1 Timothy 4.8, I've fought a good fight. He called it a fight. It was difficult. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the master, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day when he returns for, you know, his reward. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. How can a good fight Describe 99% of professed Bible believers. They're not fighting any fight. They just glide on down the hill. Their minds are in neutral. 
Many of them have hearts of jelly. Don't stand up for anything. Live and let live, you know, that sort of thing. Here's a snapshot of some scenes of Paul's fight. 2 Timothy 4.10, For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed unto Thessalonica. Cretans of Galatia, uh, to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia, only Luke is with me. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. May the master reward him according to his works. Of whom be thou where also, for he hath greatly withstood our words. Can you imagine trying to preach Yahweh's word? Well, yeah, we get it all the time. People that, that fight the name, they fight the Sabbath, they say it's, you know, they, all sorts of reasons that they don't want to do it, so they throw that back on us. I just call them coppersmiths. At my first answer, no man stood with me. All men forsook me. All men, he said. I pray, Yahweh, that it may not be laid to their charge. In a way, I mean, <laughs> here was the guy, you know, the long arm of the Sanhedrin going out and pulling in the believers into jail and who knows what. Naturally, they're going to say, what? And now he's sticking up for them? I can see why some of them would reject that. It's logical. But they weren't listening to what he was saying. I pray, Yahweh, that it may not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, the master stood with me and strengthened me. See, we always got Yahshua behind us. That by me, by me, my preaching, my word might be fully known and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of lion. The lion, the master, shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. You know, Yahshua assembled a faithful core of 12. 12! You wonder, couldn't he have found more than 12? A group of devout, decisive, highly motivated men. When he said, follow me, each one immediately dropped what he was doing. Some were working with their father, dropped their nets, and went. That took faith. It took courage. It took conviction. It took the right stuff, and that's what he was looking for. He didn't settle for anything less. That's why he had probably because he, you know, at, at least at first, that's all he had was 12. His inner circle were exceptional high achievers, and they had a spiritual goal in mind as as he taught, it was like nobody else. He said, well, he doesn't speak like the scribes or the Pharisees, the lawyers. When they heard Joshua, he didn't say, well, the tradition, our tradition is, or the rabbis say. He said, I say, and my father say, says. You don't have to rely on all these others. And they, they were just blown away. It's a boldness and a medal that he's looking for today. You're here because you have what Yahweh seeks. He, you have the right stuff or you wouldn't be here. You've stepped out of your world back home and followed his calling. You dropped your fishing nets, your tent making, your tannery tools, and you came in obedience. Get the call. You saw it in scripture. It says to do it. It's right along with the Sabbath, Leviticus 23. The feast days are all there with the Sabbath. You can't do one and not the other. There are groups that do. 
They keep the Sabbath. They don't keep the feast days. You can't do that. It's in the same context. It's in the same chapter. How do they miss it? He promises he'll reward you for your dedication. Malachi 3, 16 to 18. Then they that feared Yahweh spake often one to another. I've often wondered, where did they do that? Probably in fellowship. Probably on the Sabbath. Probably on the feast day. They spake one to another, supporting each other, encouraging each other. They that feared Yahweh did that. And Yahweh listened and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared Yahweh and that thought upon his name. What is that book of remembrance? What is that? You know, he said, I've kind of changed my view on the uh, book of life, written in the book of life. I'm wondering if maybe everybody's written in that book of life and then they're blotted out when they don't measure up. I don't know. But remember when David said, don't blot me out of your book? Don't blot me out. It's like he's already in there, but he says, don't take me out because of what I've done. Book of Remembrance. Um, Is that something extra? I'm thinking that it is, but I'm still studying it. And they shall be mine, says Yahweh of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels and I will spare them as a man spares his own son that serves him. Verse 18, then shall you return and discern between the righteous and the wicked, between him that serves Elohim and him that serves him not. He wants loyalty. He wants dedication to him, the one who lives the right way of faith. In Luke 9, verse 59, Yahshua told a parable about, parable, <laughs> parable, here we go, about some who put others before him. And he said unto another, follow me. But he said, Master, suffer me first to go bury my father. And Yahshua said unto him, let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of of Yahweh. And that's another thing. You know, uh, he talks about the kingdom a lot, and yet you rarely hear about it. Because the kingdom is not preached, people don't know what happens after they die. They just float around up in heaven, I guess. Whatever. They don't even know how they, how to, <laughs> the, by, the means by which they get there, you know, the re- requirements to get, they don't even know that. They think it's auto, autopilot. But uh, he wants the loyalty for those who are called, and then they're chosen. But Yahshua told a parable. He said, uh, well, the one guy says, well, my dad died. I, I got to go you know, bury him and attend to that first. And he said, let, let that take care of itself. You need to follow me. So what he's trying to say is, look, the things of the world, are, 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 don't let them get in the way. Don't let them get in the way. And another also said, Master, I'll follow you, but let me first go bid them farewell while you are at my house. <laughs> I got company at home. I got to go home and take care of them first. And Yahshua said, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of Elohim. No human being on this planet has to come between us and him and will come between us and him. Take any devout Old Testament patriarch, righteous king, prophet of Yahweh. Take any one of them and, you know, chosen apostle or anyone in the scriptures favored by Yahweh. And you're going to find dedication. You'll find a person with a resolve that puts everything else secondary. Yahweh, Yahweh first. 
They'll have courage, determination, tenacity, resolve. They were those who would not shrink back from their calling, no matter the challenge, even though it meant their life, they would go forward. Because they knew they had one chance at salvation, and they weren't going to blow it. If they did, they would be unworthy of even a footnote in the Book of Life. Just dishonorable mention, befitting the likes of Demas or the evil coppersmith who had nothing more to do than to resist the ministry of Paul at every turn. Hebrews 11 is about the true faithful in action. We've all read it. It's the faith uh, chapter. After listing those who's who among the faithful, Hebrews sums up their moxie this way. It's in verse 32. And what shall I say more? The time would fail me to tell about Gideon of Barak and Samson of Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of the weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to fight, to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again. And others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Others had trials of cruel mockings and scourgings. Yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonments. Even, you know, like Paul, he <laughs> hauled into prison how many times? They didn't have freedom of speech back then, I guess. They were stoned, they were sawn of thunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskin and goatskin, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented. See, that's what he's talking about, fighting a fight. <laughs> you know, that's what, that's what Paul meant. It, it, he's got a war going on with the spirit world. Of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth and all those having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. So they have, they're not in heaven yet, and nor will they be, but they will be resurrected to earth. Elohim having a better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. What does it mean, Yahweh's got a better thing for us? Ever wondered about that? Does that mean... We need to be more dedicated than they are? Willing to go further and farther? A better thing for us. You know, the knowledge of the believer is, is blessed to be given uh, through the result of many decades of intense, highly focused, in-depth Bible study. We've learned from the other students of the Bible that went before us back into the 1930s, back into 1880, when they were just learning about the name, the resurgence of the name. Um, these scholars who passed on their knowledge to us, we accept the whole Bible. Our understanding harmonizes the entire word. That's uncommon today, you know. I'm sure we all know that. Our understanding starts at ground level. It starts with the foundation, and we build from that. If you don't get the foundation right, the whole structure in time will just collapse. It all rests on proper footing. 
Because the initial testament is called old, many believe it's now useless, replaced by a new testament, with a focus away from Israel, the foundation. And in truth, the entire Bible reflects the same values and codes of ethics of Yahweh and his son. The Old Testament is the all-important foundation. A few changes were made in the priesthood and ministration. We know that in the New Covenant. A few changes there. Yahshua has a Melchizedek priesthood, not the Levitical now, but uh, the need for obedience is the same. Nothing's changed there. Yahshua's own obedience to the word tells us all we need to know, and his teachings prove that, and so did the apostles. We can see how they applied it, and they did the same. The common belief is that the Old Testament is outdated and its instructions are useless, even though it is quoted directly 263 times in the New Testament. 263 times we read Old Testament verses or Old Testament sayings. Our New Testament Savior and all his apostles gleaned their teachings from the Old Testament because that's all they had. When they talked about Scripture, (laughs) it wasn't Paul uh, Peter, uh, hand me uh, Paul's letter to the Colossians, would you? And I'll teach from that. No, it was the Old Testament, of course. Paul wasn't even around at that time. It was the only Bible they had. Joshua taught from 27 books of the Old Testament, believe it or not. How many books are there in the New Testament? 27. He taught from 27 books of the Old Testament. Total references to the Old Testament, either directly or tangentially or obliquely, is 2,600 references to the Old Testament in the New Testament. That's one-third of the New Testament from the Old Testament. And yet they say, oh, we don't need the Old Testament. That's, uh, that's dead. The entire Bible is valid for our learning. Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration and is profitable No, he's talking Old Testament, but he said it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of Elohim may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So, if we go back to the Old Testament, and the the patriarchs and those back there, their Bible was profitable for the same thing the New Testament is, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, instruction in righteousness that they may be perfect. So they were doing the same thing in the Old Testament that we do. It's really amazing, you know, because they throw the feast days in with the Old Testament. Um, you know, you don't need that. That's, uh, that's Jewish. That's, that's uh, old Israelite stuff. And you don't need that today. You just follow Yahshua. Yeah. Did you know? Look up sometimes John 3.16, the most quoted verse in all of the world. For Yahweh so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever so believes in him shall not perish. Look up believe. Look up believe. Do a word study on believe. You won't believe <laughs> what you end up with. But it means basically to get in line with, to follow, to do, to, con- uh, I can't think of the word. I don't know if we have a, the reference in the uh, RSB. But uh, conform to, that's the word I want. Means conform to, conform to Yahshua. And Yahshua said, you know, I follow the Father. So in, in essence, you're following the Father. Not just saying, well, he did it all for me. I don't have to do anything. He's done it all. He did all the, uh, you know, the observances and he did all the commandments. I don't have to. 
All I do is believe in him. Well, they're contradicting themselves if they understand what that means. So anyway, we, uh, we're sure glad you're here. We're sure glad that you made the, the effort to come out. And may we rejoice at this feast. So we have memories we build on, not only for the rest of the year, until next time, but throughout our lifetime. I hear from people, you know, do you remember that feast in 2003? Remember what they were doing? <laughs> I can't remember what I had breakfast you know, yesterday. I don't... <laughs> but I'm glad you remember it because that's important, you know. Uh, nothing could be better than remember Yahweh's days and what we do on Yahweh's days and how we learn. May Yahweh bless you.